years ago, I was sitting at a red light and my life was a little bit lost at the time and I was sitting at a red light and there was a church over in the left-hand side of my eye view and there was a whole bunch of people walking into the church and they all had, it was like a potluck going on or something, but they're all carrying their pots and they're getting ready to, to share a meal and I just broke. And it's sometimes the dumbest things that you really want in life that you don't really know that that's what you want. But I wanted community with people who were doing the right things. I wanted to know God, but I didn't even, I, that wasn't even on my radar at the time. But I just broke and I said, God, I so want to be a part of something. I want to be a part of something, but I didn't know what all was missing in my life. And I cried and I asked, you know, the Lord, because I, I hadn't talked to God really much and he really wasn't something on the forefront of my mind. But I began to ask the Lord, what is it that's missing in my life? Because I really didn't know what it was like to have a true relationship with God. I thought it was just something that you just kind of go to church every now and again and, and you just try to do the right things according to whatever you think is right. Well, a lot of people think a lot of things are right that are not right if you really know God. So that was what really started my whole process of God drawing me to his kingdom. Have you ever just really wondered? I think Rob's prayer was so good. He's, he's like, God, what am I here for? What is it that you really want to do with me? Have you ever just wondered, you know, how, why did you create me, Lord? You know, what, what did you have in mind? You put me in this particular family. You made me female. You made this in my life. You made that in my life. A lot of things that aren't right. And yet you had purpose for it all. And so you just kind of wonder, Lord, what is it that you're wanting to do in my life? And I know one thing that I have learned, several actually, the greatest desire that God has for his people is, number one, that we know Jesus, that we come to know Jesus through salvation, which can be quite tricky for a lot of people. They get all covered up in what does the blood mean? Why did he have to die on the cross? There's a lot of stuff that I didn't understand when I first came to know Christ. And so, you know, there's a lot of questions you may have. You may be sitting here thinking, you know, I've really not made that decision yet. Well, I'm encouraging you to do that because it makes all the difference. Number two, he wants us to learn to keep his commandments. Oh, Jesus. That'll keep a lot of us from ever saying that prayer. <laughs> oh, don't get up in my business, God. Do anything, but don't tell me what to do. And then third, he wants us to be a witness and fulfill a calling that he has placed on our life. Now, with all of those three things that you get, you get a bright future. Let's see, you get to understand the creator of the universe. You also get to live a fulfilled life. And you get to understand that God that created all this is actually on your side. I mean, that's not bad. And then you get a future, you get peace and prosperity, which doesn't always mean money. And you also get health. You get health in mind, body, spirit, and soul. Not bad. That's not bad. But in this day and age, we have misplaced affections because we've learned to judge that based on man's standards. 
2 Timothy 3, 5 warns us that in the last days, which is this period of time before Jesus returns, that people would become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. It's a warning that he gives us. And when love becomes distorted, the results are great arrogance, ungratefulness, and unholiness. Just, we just expect everything to just be given to us. And we don't really stop and say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. We don't even realize that every blessing we receive is truly from a gift from God. Matthew twenty two thirty seven teaches us to fight against lovelessness. Because being loveless is being ungrateful. Being loveless means that you don't really love others, that you just really have yourself on your mind. That is the trigger point of the end times. Oh, Jesus. Mm. Fighting against ungratefulness, fighting against self-centeredness. In order to really do this life the way God wants you to and understand the gift that God is to you and the gift that you are to others, you have to know him. We just don't intuitively know what God's will is without knowing him because we are too selfish in our own nature. Oh, God, make her shut up. <laughs> I know that's what you're thinking. Mmm. <laughs> So what I want us to do this morning is take a look at the Apostle Paul's life. I love Paul. I think that he was one of the most awesome examples in the Bible outside of King David. They're kind of neck and neck in my world. But Paul was a very fierce persecutor of people with the faith, with faith in Jesus. When he learned that people were serving Jesus, he persecuted them on purpose just because they served God. He did it with force and fervor. Okay, so what was the Apostle Paul's history? Well, the Apostle Paul was of Jewish descent. He was born in Rome. He was a Roman citizen, which back in that time mattered a lot. It brought him a quite a bit of prestige. He had rights to vote. He had rights to run for office. He had privileges from certain taxes that he didn't have to pay. He had legal rights to actually sue the courts if they made a decision that he didn't like. He could even make his appeal all the way to Caesar if he wanted to. I mean, it was cool to be a Roman. He was a tent maker by trade. He was born in Tarsus, which most people that were born there, they raised these long-haired goats. And because these goats had this long, beautiful hair, most of the people from that area were tent makers because they could grow this hair and it would make great tents. So that's what he was. They were very prosperous people. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a few years younger than Jesus. How did Paul look? Well, that's very interesting. Because we always think that someone is great looking when they're called by God. Not necessarily so. Okay? So here's what a second century church leader described Paul as. And it was not until he died that they really came out and said what he looked like. <laughs> they didn't want to hurt his, his sweet little feelings. But here's the deal. He was short. He was bow-legged. And he had scanty hair. That probably means most of those guys that this go ahead and just, you know, they shave it all off now, you know. And, but, but back in that day, you know, they didn't do all that cute stuff that the men do now. They, they, they make a really cool whatever that facial hair thing is. 
Not the beard, but you know, that, that look. You know, the look. If you have a bald hair, you got to have this. Whatever that look is. Y'all get what I'm saying? So he didn't even have that privilege because that wasn't cool back then. He just had old scanty hair. And them guys just let it go. Whatever. Okay? You can see pictures. So he had scanty hair and a unibrow. <laughs> with a very long nose and very large eyes. When I read the description of what the Apostle Paul looked like, I said, oh my Lord, he looks kind of like the hunchback of Notre Dame maybe. This was not too pretty. But here's the deal. He learned to use what he had. And when he opened his mouth, lives and hearts were changed. For the bad before his conversion, for the good after his conversion. Paul comes on to the biblical scene in Acts 9. And it says while he was still breathing murderous threats, things began to happen. He actually went to appeal to the people, the high priest, in order to bring the Christians, not just persecute them, but arrest them if anyone was talking about Jesus. So he's headed that way. He's going to go and, and find out if he can get special permission because he's a Roman. He's got those rights. And he wants to be able to arrest people that are talking about Jesus. Now, it's very well able that even Paul showed up where Jesus was talking at one point before he died. It's very well able that, that he was actually there when they stoned Stephen. Because it wasn't uncommon back in that day and age if you were in Roman authority and somebody was doing what the Romans wanted you to do, then they would lay stuff at your feet. And it was told that at Stephen, at, when Stephen was stoned that there was things being laid and they believed that that was the Apostle Paul's feet. So whatever stones they used, whatever threads they had pulled off the people, they threw them at the person in authority to show approval of what was going on. This was how Paul's life was before Jesus got a hold of him. So he goes to the high priest, he gets permission to actually arrest the Christians, and he starts down the road to Damascus, and he says, I'm going to get me a few today. Because he's full of zeal and fervor, and he really wants to make an impression, right? Just the kind of guy he was. I guess that unibrow got to him a little bit. <laughs> he's like, okay, I'm going to make up some time somewhere, all right? I may not be too pretty, but I'm about to make a difference. So he heads out on the road to Damascus, and he has this experience. He has two guys with him. Suddenly, this light began to shine all around him. And a voice comes out and says, Paul, why are you persecuting my people? And instantly, he says, Lord, what do you want from me? The guys that were with him couldn't see a thing. All they could do was hear what was going on. And after he was struck by Jesus, he went blind. And Jesus said, go back to the city and find a man called Ananias. That's the only direction he was given. So he heads back to the city with the help of his two friends and he finds Ananias. And they begin to tell Ananias what happened. And when they did, Ananias knew that he was supposed to pray for Paul. Instantly, 
although he knew who Paul was, he accepted Paul at the same level. Hierarchy was suddenly broken. Ananias didn't think he was better than Paul, and Paul didn't think he was better than Ananias. It was real to real right here. And so Ananias puts his hands on him, and scales fall after he begins to pray off of Paul's eyes. And suddenly, what he had seen in a certain way went bye-bye, and suddenly the mystery of the kingdom of God was opened up. And honey, everything changed. Now I am asking you, If you have taken that step in Jesus and nothing in your life has changed, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Paul began to instantly take all of his passions that he had geared toward the wrong things and he actually quickly made this transition into serving God and going out and making a difference for the way is what they called it back then. He becomes a traveler. He wanted to go one direction. The Holy Spirit said, no, don't go there. Go to Macedonia. What? Macedonia? That's a real hopping busy place. Yep, that's where I want you to go. The Holy Spirit speaks to him. He heads off to Macedonia. Once he gets there, he begins instantly preaching and telling people the truth. He understands that his gift is to the Gentiles, and he starts speaking to these people. And what he figures out once he gets to Macedonia is because of where it was geographically located, messages could travel like wildfire. It's like it's right here, and all these roads that went to all these different regions were all around. That means any messages of communication that went out in Macedonia learned to travel quickly. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. God had a reason for his transformation. God showed him how to scout out the people that he wanted him to reach. And changes instantly happened. And Paul started saying in 1 Corinthians 9, he starts talking about how he learned to reach people. He said to the Jew, he became a Jew. To the weak, he became weak. He learned how to tap into his own life in order to reach others. To those that were operating and functioning under the law, he became one like under the law. He knew how to talk the language of the people that he knew he needed to reach. It's pretty smart. Point number one, God wants to use your story. God wants to use your story. Ephesians 1, 1 through 7 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. 
It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What does all of that say? The bottom line is this. God wants you. He wants you to use your story. He wants you to be relatable to the people that he's called you to reach. And this is not because of how great you are. It's because you have been saved by grace. In other words, I think all too often we go out as disciples of Christ and we think, we're going to turn this world around. We're going to tell everybody what's wrong with them. Because we're going to let them know you need transformation. Let me just tell you something. If I walked into the prison with the guys that I work with and did that, oh, Jesus, I'd be lucky to come out alive, okay? You catch a whole lot more with, with, uh, with honey than you do vinegar. You ever heard that saying? Okay, that's not funny. All right. Um, but anyway, so the thing about it is you can't just sit there and start telling everybody what's wrong with you. Like walking into a hospital with a drug addict who just delivered a baby that's addicted to drugs. Do you need to beat them over the head? I think they know. You tell them about the love of God. You tell them how they can be saved. You tell them how they can experience transformation. You express God's grace and mercy for all that it is. Oh, Jesus, it's getting quiet. We're not legalistic Christians, are we? No, not at LifePoint. So you got to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you through your own story. You need to learn to digest your own story and learn to talk about it with people who need the Lord. Although the Apostle Paul was not handsome, let me tell you something. He knew how to use the weapon of his words. His words were power. He could not open his mouth without change coming. The messages God used to, to give him began to perpetuate everywhere he went with everything he said. People hung on to them. Key things that Paul learned as he took on this calling was, number two, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Colossians 3, 1 through 11 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above. In other words, don't focus on all this. Get people looking up there. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our life is hidden away with Jesus. Put to death. Oh boy, here we go. It comes in. Y'all know it comes. 
Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is nothing more than idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all language, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of, his, of this creator. He came into this ministry with a horrible, a horrible reputation. He persecuted Christians. He killed them. And now he's preaching. And he's saying, let your life be changed by Jesus. And everybody's going, what? Aren't you the guy that, let me tell you. He had to begin to understand who he was in Christ. And he had to admit who he used to be. And he had to get comfortable in what that skin looked like. He had to understand some people are always going to hold this junky thing I used to do against me. But I can't let it stop me. Any of you got skeletons in your closet? Yep, we all do. But let me tell you something. When people accuse you, just understand that's not coming from God. And when you are, you just say, look, that may be who I was, but it's not who I am now. And Paul dealt with this daily. And he even got to the point, he said, look, Y'all can all try to judge me, but to be honest, you know, this thing that's happened to me is so far beyond my thinking that I don't even judge myself anymore. And that's what he finally told him. I don't even judge me. That's God's job. I'm just trying to do what I know God called me to do. His compelling message would stir up people and cause them to question their unbelief. And many times they attacked him just because of that reason. Because his message was so compelling, it was hard to walk away from. They couldn't stay complacent any longer. They didn't want to even stay in their mediocre life, but people don't want to make the change because they're too worried about the commands, the differences they may have to make in their life. The things following the ways of God. Oh, it's not always easy. Oh, Jesus. No, it's not. I'm telling you, I've had to walk away from a lot of things. I've had words, and words were a big deal to me. You know, I, I mean, I could cuss like a sailor. I was good at it, too. And I could land it right on the right word. And God said, uh, mm, mm, mm. we're about to clean up that mouth with a big old bar of soap. Oh, Jesus. God said, that's the thing I called to use. I can't, I, I, clean water and dirty water can't flow out of the same fountain. I said, oh, Lord. And I mean to tell you, I would get my mouth and I would start to say words and I could just feel myself saying, uh, 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 all right, nope, nope, not doing that anymore. The apostle Paul founded the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church. And if you ever go through and read First and Second Corinthians, you'll know the problems that the church had. Oh, Jesus he had to actually look at himself and say, oh God, is this what I've produced? These people are getting involved in erroneous sins. They're constantly gossiping. They're quarrelsome. They're fighting. Oh God, is this really my church? 
So he had to constantly be dealing with them. And thank God he did because now we have this beautiful, beautiful image of what we should be doing. He had to bring correction to them at times where he was extremely frustrated. You know, I had the opportunity to go to Greece a few years back and we were doing all the typical touristy stuff. And we get there and, and, you know, we're at the Parthenon, which is the great thing to be seen, right? Like they got a picture. Oh, there it is already. Oh, okay. Um, So there's the Parthenon, right, where everybody tours the Parthenon. And I wanted to see where Mars Hill was, which was where Paul taught the Corinthian church. Well, it was off the beaten path. I kept asking people, are we going to go to where the Corinthians were taught by the Apostle Paul? Uh, no, we, we really don't. We, don't. we don't tour that area. I was like, what? The Apostle Paul's famous in the Bible. What's the, what, what? How do I get over there? Finally, we had to get a taxi to take us over to Mars Hill. Once we got there, Mars Hill was itty-bitty. I counted to 10, and I was at the top. I said, I just climbed a mountain. Actually, this is a mohill. This is where the Apostle Paul taught the Corinthians. And this picture right here is a beautiful image of where Paul stood. And then way up there in the beautiful tippy, tippy top top is where the Parthenon was, where all the Greek goddesses of their time would talk a bunch of trash. Greek mythologies and things that people still study these days because of their wisdom and all of that. And then you had little Paul, who was coming against it, who had a unibrow, scanty hair, and bow legs. And he's not too pretty. And he's over here trying to raise up a church that was nothing but a hot mess. I climbed to the top of this. I was going to bring you my my picture, but I decided I didn't like the way I looked in it, so sorry. But I got to the top. I got to the top, and I raised my hand up to heaven, and I said, God, ministry is hard. And he's like, yeah, don't ever forget it. And when you realize what Paul was coming up against, being in that small little Mars hill, coming up against the Parthenon people, you realize how difficult his life really was at times. This is what disciples do. Let me tell you something. There is nothing in the Bible that was easy. Christians were doing stuff for God that wasn't cool at the time. We read it now and we think, oh, King David is so great. Let me tell you, he had his work cut out for him. The Apostle Paul was so great. He had a church that was a hot mess. He did stuff that wasn't too cool back then. And then we think we want it to be so easy. God, just put the people in my path. Sometimes you got to go to them. you got to go seek them out. Who has God called you to reach? He had to do what he was maybe even afraid to do. That's number three. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to step into the unknown. If God is with you and God is for you, who in the world can be against you? 
Romans 8, 10 through 15. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of this Spirit that lives in you. Let me tell you something. God's Spirit is bigger than anything you need. It's the same thing that raised Jesus from the grave. It's the same thing that healed the woman with the issue of blood. It's the same thing. God will do for us what he's done for others. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and then you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. It means you're a son of God. You know, I can remember after my great transformation, and let me tell you something, it was a big old difference. I would go and I would try to talk to my family, my brother in particular who had an addiction, and I would talk to him, and he, his addiction had worsened. Now, this was many years back. And we had a family event at my house, and I said, look, why don't you come into the bedroom and let me pray for you? <laughs> Y'all ever tried to reach family kind of like that? <laughs> he was like, Pah! like, what are you going to do for me? I was like, well, I'm just going to pray. I mean, I, whatever. He, he walks into the bedroom. He sits down. I pray for him. And he goes, yeah, right. And walks away. And I, my heart was kind of broken, to be honest. And then I realized, you know, this is the same brother that used to beat me and throw me around and whatever. I mean, you know, kind of expected it, whatever. So many years later, I hadn't seen him in uh, three or four years at the time. I get a call from his girlfriend. She says, your brother's dying. I said, what? And I hadn't heard from him for three years. And it wasn't unusual, you know, because when his life wasn't going well, he would kind of, you know, you got family like that. They kind of come up missing. You hadn't seen him in a while. You'd call and they say, yeah, 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 we're busy right now. Yeah, that's the kind of calls we had. So I didn't really talk to him much. And so anyway, she calls and and I I, I said, I, I... I don't even know what to say. What do you? She said, well, you need to come pick him up. I said, well, I, I, don't, I don't understand the condition, but I will drop everything, and I will head that way. And so I went to San Antonio, six-hour drive, got there in five. <laughs> I don't speed. I did take that little route that you can go around the Austin, you know, that, that is faster. It really is. You can go, like, almost 100. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that way. But... Anyway, so I get there, and I'm faced with my brother, whom I see this man walking into the house who's barely walking. He looks like he's like 300 pounds. My brother is 6'4". He's 180, and he's a handsome guy. And I look at this man, and he's hunched over, and he looks like he's about 300 pounds, and he's not doing good at all. Come to find out, he had a horrible liver disease. And I'm trying to figure out how to get him back home. I finally figured this out. It takes three weeks. I end up there three weeks trying to work everything out. So I get him home. I get him into a great place where where he's going to be able to be taken care of. And 
three days. I'm, I'm in Bible school at the time, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I got all these lessons due, and I'm, I, he's laying in one bed right here, and I'm trying to do my homework, and I'm praying, and I'm crying, and I'm upset. And I, everything's going on all at once. And I just remember thinking, God, what do I do? What do I do? Is this really mercy? How do I reach him now? He didn't have a lick of sense. <laughs> How do I do this? God said, just be faithful. Just be faithful. So I said, well, just, just let me at least walk across the stage. But don't let him die on that day. I graduated. I walked across the stage. Got my degree. And they're calling me. They're saying, you better hurry. I get there. And my brother wants to go to the bedroom. And I think, well, he's probably really wanting to go to the bathroom. So I follow him. He's not doing good. And he says, no, no, no. I really want to go to the bedroom. I said, okay, okay, we'll go to the bedroom. He goes to the bedroom and he sits on the side of the bed. He takes his shirt off and he begins to sob into his shirt. He said, I'm ready now. I'm thinking, what? Ready, ready? What do you mean? Suddenly the 20 years ago where we prayed at the bed and he laughed at me. He said, now, I'm ready. With all of his fac faculties in order, he accepted Jesus Christ right there. And three days later, he died. And God said, I am faithful to you. And I said, but God, I didn't think it was going to go down like this. I thought he was going to, you know, and, and be able to have some. He said, did he die on the street corner naked with nobody? I said, no, sir, no, sir. And he said, that's my grace. He died with people that loved him and he knows me. What more do you want? I said, you're right. You are absolutely right. I know it's hard. I know it's not easy. But let me tell you something. Before Paul's life was over, in his travel, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was scoffed at, he was imprisoned, he was hungry, he was made fun of. He had a hot mess of a church. But God made him successful. And he will make you successful. And he will be faithful to you. In Matthew 10, 27, he said, number one, I'll make sure that you hear me. I'll make sure that my sheep hear my voice. And he says, number two, I'll make sure that you know where you're going. In Acts 8, the church had been scattered at that time. And Philip was walking about and he was saying, Lord, I don't even know what to do. Everybody, all the Christians have been scattered. And Paul's walking along the roadside, and, or Philip is. And, and God speaks to him and he says, go this direction. There's somebody that you need to talk to. As he goes, there's a man sitting in a carriage reading Isaiah. And he's like, I just don't understand this. Philip goes up and said, are you reading the Bible? And he goes, yeah, I'm trying. He was a eunuch. Do y'all want to know what a eunuch is? Oh, Jesus. Men, I'm sorry about this. It was, it was castrated men who were, who were the authority over the harems of the king. And they were, they were put in this condition so that they would have no issues. None at all. <laughs> all right. Now, if you can forget that for just... <laughs> All right. 
He didn't want any distractions with lust or anything like that. So we just take care of that right there. <laughs> so he goes over to the eunuch. Everybody's like, that's all I can see now is the eunuch. I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. <laughs> he goes over to the eunuch and he says, here's what that means. And he goes, how did you know that? And he said, have you accepted Jesus? And he said, no, I didn't even know. I, just, I was just trying to read the Bible. And he said, no, 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 you need to accept Jesus. Jesus is the way. And he began to preach to him. And he accepts Jesus, and they go down and they baptize him. God is faithful. He will lead you and guide you when you do his work. And when you're doing his work, he'll take care of all the junk behind you. Oh, Jesus. It's good stuff. The works that we're called to do is good. Scout out your team. God will take care of you. What are the beloved people that God wants you to reach? Who needs to know the good news? And furthermore, who keeps good news to themselves? So often, you got a card, by the way. Put a name on there, who you're trying to reach. Here's the deal. If you really want to reach people, let me tell you something. You will get a lot of lame excuses why people don't serve God. Well, I just keep my spiritual life private. Why? Are you ashamed of your spiritual life? Probably. You know, not to get into any real tension, but honestly, when people respond like that, that's really kind of where they are. My core values and my spiritual condition are my business. Really? Well, how do you reproduce those if you're keeping them all to yourself? And you can always lay out a thought. Who keeps good news to yourself? Who does that? Isaiah 6, 8 says, I heard a voice saying, whom shall I send? Who will go? And Isaiah responds, here I am, Lord, send me. Let me ask you this. Are you one of those that will go? God will teach you. He will train you. He will equip you. He will give you words. He will give you the people groups. He'll show you who your tribe is. He will inspire you. He will give you vision. In 1968, there was an astronaut, Jim Lovell. He was on Apollo 8 headed to the moon. They did a live telecast on Christmas Eve where they read from the book of Genesis. As they entered into lunar orbit, they began to see the dark side of the moon. And they continued to travel through orbit. And suddenly you couldn't even see the moon anymore. All of a sudden, as they continued, the light began to shine. And it shined on the side of the moon that they had never seen. For millions of years, no man's eyes had ever beheld that side of the moon. And there he was. He's looking at it. And his heart was overjoyed. And then he looks up. And he realizes that little thing, it looks like a marble. That's the earth. He takes a good long glimpse at it. It's 240,000 miles away at that point. He puts his thumb out in front of him and it covers the entire earth. And he thinks of that song, you got the whole world in your hands. And he says to God, you really, really do. You have the whole world in your hands. He realized that his home 
was all that he had ever known. This little small planet, just one of nine in this big solar system, a speck in the Milky Way. Normally his world would only be consistent of trees and mountains and hills and buildings. That's what usually defined his world. But this, this was almost infinite. It was more than what his mind could conceive The earth perfectly created with proper mass, with gravity. It contained plenty of water and all the essentials that we need for life. His mind was overwhelmed. The experience and his view on his life began to change. He said, look how magnificently and wonderfully I've been created. His purpose was more intense and mindful He did two more major flights in his career, but none, none were like this. This changed his life. It was the one to be remembered with awe. Expand your view for the world that God has called you to reach. Expand your worth and your value and your purpose. Have you gotten just a little complacent? Have you known Jesus for 20 years and now you think nobody else needs him? Have you just kind of gotten comfortable? You're retired now and you just sit by the lake and you don't really step out anymore? Are you thinking you're too new and you've got too many issues? You better not talk to anybody else because you know you really don't know what you're doing. What intimidation factors stop you from reaching people? Let me tell you something. When I was sitting at that street corner, seeing those people carrying in that food, do you know I can't think of one time where anyone had invited me to church? I don't know what I looked like to most people. Maybe I looked like I didn't need church. I don't know what I thought. But let me tell you something. If you will just listen and follow his voice, he will tell you who he wants you to reach. And in closing, remember, God takes care of you. God shows you what to do. Psalms 119, 34 through 38 says, Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for I find delight in them. Turn my heart toward your statues and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things and preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that, God, you may be feared. Do you know the only thing we should fear is God? And this is a function of confidence, confidence in our faith. Who's your team? What is God saying to you? He will equip you. I don't care how ill-equipped you feel. He will equip you. Faith without works is dead. So you know what, church? We got to get busy. We got to spread out the good news. We got to let others know. Because who keeps great news to themselves? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you've done such a tremendous work in our own hearts, God. That you've given us this awesome opportunity, God, to know you. And Lord, we just pray, God, right now in the name of Jesus, that you would help us to have faith and courage to reach others, 
to reach out to those, God, who may need you. Because at the end of time, that's all that's going to matter, God. It's not going to matter how long we did this or that or whatever on the earth, God. The only thing that's going to last is the work that we do for you that you call us to. And Lord, for those that may be sitting here this morning saying, sounds like a great kingdom, but I just don't know if, if God would love someone like me. Let me just tell you something. God loves you. God loves you. He takes you at your mess, and he's the one that cleans up your mess. You don't do it. He does it. There's no fear. There's no fear. Perfect love that God has for you casts out all fear. So would you take that step today? Would you just say this in your heart, God? I admit I've made a lot of mistakes. But you're the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm asking you to forgive me. To cover all of my wrongs. To put me on the platform that you want me to be on. To help me to understand those areas of my life that you want to work in. God, I give you free reign. Do this your way, God. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me, God, your ways. And I will be sure to follow them, Lord. I give you all of this in Jesus' name.